You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let me talk to you about an absolutely amazing app, Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. The best thing about this, the cost, no commission fees. Other brokerages charge up to 10 bucks for every single trade, but Robinhood does not charge commission fees. You can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. And again, there are easy to understand charts and market data. You can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. This is simply a great way to learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. You can discover new stocks and track your favorite companies with a personalized news feed. Custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest are also available. And here's something else for you. Robinhood is giving you a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up right now at jimrome.robinhood.com jimrome.robinhood.com get started right now learn how to invest as you build your portfolio and get that free stock by going to jimrome.robinhood.com we're in introductions at north royalton hot dogs got thrown at me and then it happened a couple games later at wadsworth and i was cool with it but it really hurt my mom you know she was like people are really throwing hot dogs at my son What's up, everybody? A very happy Thanksgiving to you wherever you are, and welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. What do you know? Episode 60. Ep 60. That's a big number. And my guest for the Big 6-0 is the head coach of the Nevada Wolfpack, the man driving the must bus, and a guy who I've been talking to for a long, long time, Eric Musselman. Listen, what E-Must is doing in Nevada is amazing. Last year, he led the Wolfpack to the Sweet 16. He won four different Coach of the Year awards. He's won back-to-back Mountain West regular season titles. And this year, they're off quickly, winning their first four games and ranked number six in the country, the highest ranking in program history. Emus has lived an amazing basketball life. And I'm proud to say we kind of came up through the ranks together, starting when we were a couple of 23-year-olds chopping it up when I was getting my radio start in Santa Barbara, and Musk was running the Rapid City Thrillers. So pot up, I am going way back with my man E. Musk. Eric, it is so good to have you on the podcast long form. First up, you blew out Cal Baptist. You moved to 4-0 on the season. You went to the Sweet 16 last year, Eric. You're ranked in the top 10 right now. Enormous expectations. First off, what do you think of what you've seen from the team so far, and how important was it for you guys to get out quickly? I think the big thing for us, Jim, is the fact that, um, you know, we, we have only three returning players. Everybody preseason talked about four returning starters because of Lindsey Drew. Uh, who is a returner, but not in uniform due to an Achilles injury. So we felt only three guys last year put on a Nevada uniform. So it was really important for us to try to get out of the gates early, um, not have a game where we slipped up. And, and, and we're still trying to figure out our identity and who we are and the style of play. We're a much bigger team than we were last year, uh, more physical, uh, actually playing with a true center, a true power forward. And, in today's basketball world, most players um, are moving up a position. In other words, a small forward playing power forward, power forwards playing center. 
And what we've done is the exact opposite. Jordan Caroline, our starting center, is now our starting small forward. Uh, Cody Martin, who played the majority of the year last year, is a four-man, is now our starting point guard. Uh, so we're a bigger, a little bit more unorthodox type of team uh, than, than what you're seeing in, in a normal small ball type of team. All right, so you've got those three guys who came back, Jordan Caroline, Cody Martin, his twin brother Caleb. I mean, they all could have gone to the NBA, Eric. I'm sure they thought about that. They asked around. They checked to see how they were thought of. But ultimately, they decided to come back. What did that mean to you personally and to the program? Well, I think the biggest thing really, Jr., was the fact that, you know, two of them, both Martins, had already graduated. Uh, so they could have, even if after testing the NBA waters, they could have, uh, gone to another institution as a grad transfer. And then Jordan Caroline only needed a couple of classes over the summer and he could have graduated. So not only did, you know, we survive the NBA test in the waters uh, and they made really, really educated decisions. They went through the whole process. Uh, they basically all three waited until the deadline, Jordan Caroline, a couple of days before Cody and Caleb who waited until the last hour of their decision. But, I love the fact that guys are allowed to go through the process and they're allowed to Cody and Caleb played in the Chicago NBA draft combine. And so I think it gives these guys uh, certainly a leg up now that they've been through the process when they go through it uh, here uh, in a couple months, once the college basketball season's over. But for those guys to come back says a lot about where our program is and the belief uh, in where those guys think it can go this year as well. Now, Mush, you've had success with some transfers, but you got your first five-star recruit in Jordan Brown. What's he been like since arriving on campus, and what do you think about what you've seen from him on the floor so far? Well, Jordan's done a phenomenal job for us. He's, he's a very, very good back-to-the-basket scorer. Um, he's got little flip shots. He's, he's actually an old-school type of player. Uh, and, and then defensively, He's continuing to learn our terminology, continuing to learn our pick-and-roll coverages, but the sky's the limit with him. He's, he's a guy who's thirsty to try to get better. He's got a great work ethic in practice. He plays with the high motor, and he's no maintenance. And usually when you think of a five-star guy, you think that there, there might be some maintenance, and, and Jordan is not that way at all. He really, really has a high desire to become as good as he possibly can, and, and his ceiling is – He's not even close to a ceiling right now. He's going to get better as the year progresses. So, Mus, in getting a five-star guy, I'm curious, what was the process like? In other words, how hard did you recruit him, and when did you first see him? Well, because he, he's right in between the ages of my two sons, uh, I got to see him at a really young age just because of my sons were playing AAU ball in the Bay Area, and, and Jordan is from Sacramento, so therefore – I mean, I've probably seen him since he was in seventh, eighth grade. Uh, when we got the job, we, we were the first program to offer Jordan Brown a scholarship. And I think that carried a lot of weight, not only with Jordan, but also um, his parents, his mom and dad. And, and then it was just about developing a relationship. And the, and the truth of the matter is, from the moment we were allowed uh, to text a player um, due to age and grade, we started doing it and I did it on a daily basis. Even first thing I would do, even on Christmas morning, uh, before I said hello to my daughter and wife was text Jordan Brown. And, <laughs> and uh, so I certainly think that it, 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 it resonated with he and his family, um, that he was our number one priority and, and how, 
invested hopefully we would be in his in his career yeah but eric did that resonate with your family that he was your number one priority that their family was <laughs> well the cool thing is jr my wife is a competitor and i would often be walking out the door to go work out early in the morning at six or six thirty now not on christmas but on other days and she would say hey did you did you text jordan brown awesome so, so my family was quite into it, although I'm, I'm not, I really don't want them to know that on Christmas morning I was texting him before saying hello, but certainly my family knew the priority of how important Jordan could be to our program. You know, I was going to ask you about Danielle, and I will in a minute, but yeah, he actually answered something else I was going to ask you, and you've done this for a long time. I was going to say, Mus, are you still killing yourself in the gym, working out two hours every single morning, and if so, why? <laughs> well, I think twofold, JR. The number one thing... Um, is it's a stress, you know, release, I think, for anybody. Number two, uh, I, my, because my dad coached uh, one, and he was a fitness fanatic, one of the things that he always believed was you have to be able to demonstrate to your team, whether it's a defensive technique with footwork, whether it's a, an offensive move. Uh, and so he believed it was really difficult to – be able to go out on the floor and execute things if you weren't in as good as possible shape as you could be for your age. And so I think it's, you know, not only a stress reliever, but being able to demonstrate with your ball club. Um, and then for me, what I do every day before I leave work is I print uh, articles. I just will Google motivation or leadership or I'll, I'll, I'll Google if there's an MLB new manager and, and print out feature articles on him. Um, and then, and then when I'm doing my hour cardio, I'm actually with a highlighter and highlight stuff and I bring it into the office and, and share the key points, uh, with our staff or with our team. So it's, it's part working out, and it's also part trying to get better and, and having a thirst for knowledge. Well, Mush, you've always done that. You've always done that. And actually, you know, it sounds amazing. Is it all that, or is it really because you know you're going to rip your shirt off after a big win? <laughs> well, the, the shirt stuff only happened since I got to Nevada, um, but that is definitely, definitely motivation um, because I think our guys kind of expect it and our fans expect it. And, um, so, yeah, I, I guess I got to try to stay in as good a shape as I possibly can because of that as well. What's Danielle think about that? She actually loves it. I mean, the uh, <laughs> I think the first time I did it, she was a little bit embarrassed. Um, but then, you know, when we won the Mountain West, uh, regular season she actually signed uh wrote across my chest mountain west champs and so uh i mean it's just kind of been something that northern nevada and our fans kind of get a kick out of and and uh, and it's our form of celebration i guess let me tell you about these sheets that I just discovered. I absolutely love them. They're from brooklinen.com. Brooklinen sheets were named the winner of the best of online betting category by Good Housekeeping. Also, they're receiving rave reviews from Business Insider. Brooklinen is the fastest growing betting brand in the world with over 20,000 five-star reviews. Their mission, to bring five-star hotel quality sheets to everyday life. Luxury sheets without the luxury markup. How do they do that? By taking out the middleman, keeping things personal, just between them and the customer. I'm telling you, my Brooklinen sheets are the absolute best. Brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer just for you. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code ROAM at Brooklinen.com. 
Brooklinen is so certain that you will love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use my promo code ROME at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code ROME. I'm telling you, Brooklinen, these truly are the best sheets ever. It must listen, I, I'm objective, you know that. They don't pay me to root, but I've known you a long, long time. It, it really is amazing. Like, on some level, it's not amazing for me to see how well you're doing there because you've always been a guy with an amazing work ethic. I think, I mean, I know you're very, very smart and you want it badly. But at the same time, Eric, you've spent much of your career at the pro level. You were the youngest head coach in the NBA when you got that Golden State gig. You were the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. You spent a number of years in the NBA as an assistant. Even when you and I started to have these conversations 30 years ago, you were the GM and the coach of the Rapid City Thrillers, also pro basketball. You were always a pro guy. It's amazing to see how you've taken to the college game. You look like you're having the time of your life. What's it been like living and coaching in Reno? It's been awesome, Jim. I think, you know, the biggest thing for me was, uh, you know, having an opportunity to be a head coach of, of Golden State and Sacramento at a young age. I just tried to dive in research-wise and see how many – uh, coaches got an opportunity to be head coaches of three NBA franchises. And it's usually uh, coaches that have won at a really, really high level. And then there's a few uh, that had mediocre uh, first first crack at it, second crack at it, and then their third crack, they've done a good job. Like Terry Stotts is one of those guys who falls into that category who's now done a great job with Portland. But I just felt like, hey, I'm probably not going to get – uh, another head job unless I go back and be an assistant for seven or eight years. And that wouldn't guarantee it unless I got with the right head coach. And so I wanted to try to become a head coach again. Um, that's what I love doing. And so I went to the D league for two years. And then after that, you know, and, and, and there was no call up, obviously coaches want to get called up too. And we had great years and there was no NBA call up. I said, you know what, I've got to try to reinvent myself and, and and kind of take a, a career detour and, and, and went as an assistant coach at Arizona State and at LSU. And um, it was the best thing I did because I, I sat back, I was able to observe, I shut my mouth, opened my ears, tried to learn as much as I could about recruiting, about how to deal with boosters, about how to market your program. Um, and I took notes of what I really liked and things that I might do differently. And, and uh, so I was fortunate, Jim, to have a, you know, to, to at a late stage of life, so to speak, kind of just take a completely different turn and, and take a detour. Although it's still coaching, it is completely different lifestyle. Now, Moss, all those things you just mentioned, the recruiting and dealing with boosters, marketing, this, that, and the other, even when you got back into the college game and you were at, at Arizona State and LSU, obviously the plan was, as you just mentioned, to be a head coach once again, and you started to interview. Correct me if I'm wrong, were you not bypassed a few times, and wasn't the rap kind of like, yeah, but – but what does he know about recruiting? What does he know about dealing with boosters? What does he know about marketing? What was your response when you heard that? Well, I was. it wasn't just several interviews. I mean, so I, I guess I was a little naive. When I went to Arizona State, I thought because I had coached two NBA teams and, and had a really what I considered a really solid NBA career with the assistant coaches and who I had worked for, from yeah. Doc Rivers to Chuck Daly to Mike Fratello, I thought that I had enough background that it would catch an, an athletic director's eyes. 
that was not the case. A year went by uh, after year two at Arizona State, still really nothing. I mean, there was interviews. Uh, I remember one athletic director, I had an interview and he fell asleep. Wow. Um, during the interview, I walked out and called my wife and said, well, we're not getting this one. The guy actually fell asleep in the interview. Damn. Um, and, then, and then there was letters to athletic directors and, and even a place like San Jose State that was only 40 minutes from my home in Danville, oh. uh, I could not get a call back from the San Jose State athletic director. Um, and, you know, again, that's close enough to the two NBA teams. So it was a really difficult road to, to, to get a head coaching job. And, and I think that's why I'm having so much fun, really, Jim, is I, I, I appreciate the job I have. I know how hard it is to be a head coach at any level. And so there's a great appreciation um, for what I have here in Reno. Eric, I mean, you're being very matter-of-fact about it, and I don't sense any bitterness at all. And you actually said, I was kind of naive in thinking that. Eric, I remember every one of those stops. I remember when you worked for Doc Rivers. I remember when you worked with Chuck Daly. I remember when you were the head coach at Golden State in Sacramento. I remember all of this. The fact that you couldn't get even a callback from San Jose State blows my mind. Now, you don't sound angry, but you're a huge fuel guy. I have to think that those non-responses, maybe the no's, did that not make that chip just a little bit bigger? Well, there's no question. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny because when I was coaching the Warriors, I, I, I really, really admired uh, Gilbert Arenas because he was so easy uh, to push a button to motivate him. All you had to do is mention somebody that was drafted ahead of him um, or anybody that thought, you know, like if it was a point guard ranking uh, by, a, by a publication, all you'd have to do is needle him and it, he would take it to another level. And I think for me, um, there's no doubt. I mean, I have a mental note of, of, of schools that I sent letters to. I mean, there's even places like Camp Campbell University. I didn't even know their nickname. Um, I remember that job came open and I tried to reach out to them. And so uh, all those slights, um, I think, you know, motivate me on a daily basis. Um, and so I, I, there is no bitterness. It's all like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, for for never letting me relax because there's always something that you want to try to prove. So when you got the shot with Golden State and you were the youngest coach in the NBA, Eric, I wonder, and again, I remember when you got that gig and you prepared for that, you nailed the interview. Because you got that at such a young age, did you fully appreciate the magnitude of it and that chip, that motivation, that edge? Did you have that fully intact or maybe did that slip just a little bit because you got that job at a really early age? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because uh, my agent at the time did not tell me that I actually was going in for the interview uh, for their top assistance job. They, the organization and the agent told me that it was a head coaching interview, and then I went in and did a really good job and went back for a couple more interviews and then was kind of in their pool all of a sudden for the head job. And, and I think when I got that, um, that, the first year we had a 17-game improvement um, and then the roster, there was uh, upper management started to change, and our complexion of our team changed. So we were a young team uh, that we we thought and hoped we were all going to grow together, meaning Jason Richardson and Gilbert Arenas and Troy Murphy and Mike Dunleavy. And, and then all of a sudden we made some major trades, and Antoine Jameson, uh, who I was really close with and loved coaching, uh, he was traded um, for Nick Van Exel and, 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 and Popeye Jones. And, 
and we became a lot older really quickly. And Avery Johnson uh, came in and replaced Earl Boykins, and Gilbert Arenas walked in free agency. And so all of a sudden I went from this young team that we thought were going to grow for years together uh, to be in a very old team that were all on one-year contracts. And, and so the second year was really difficult. And then after that year, there was a management change. Gary St. Jean, who was the GM that hired me, uh, was let go. And then it was only a matter of time um, until, you know, I knew that my time there was going was gonna to be over. And, 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 and they did it right because they ended up actually, uh, you know, a couple years later having that run with Coach Don Nelson. And, and uh, a lot of it was because of the time uh, that we acquired those those one-year contracts. But you know what? That Being in the basketball world, having my dad as a coach, JR, you just kind of know and accept that you're going to get a job and you're going to get fired. But there's no question that my appreciation today as a 54-year-old man as opposed to a late 30-year-old guy getting an NBA job, my appreciation is much more. And I think the, 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 the saddest thing really about uh, coaching – profession whether it's the nhl the nfl mlb is sometimes people always want to hire a young new guy um and 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 in reality so much of us get better with each year and become better at what we do it and, and improve in our craft and and uh i think that, that it makes sense to hire people that got that have a lot of experience in fact, Mush, you said recently, and having been through this, and this goes back to what you just said, that if you were hiring a GM, as an example, you would not hire a guy who had not been fired. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that, again, I think when you've been fired, you're able to, to step back and, and, and assess what went well, what went wrong. Um, you know, like I look at my career up until Golden State, I had never been fired. And so I probably had not sat back and evaluated after each year things that needed to change or relationships that needed to change with players or what have you. And then when you get fired, all of a sudden this alarm bell goes off in your head and your heart and it says, hey, I've got to change in some way, shape, or form. Like, why did this not work out? And you can't play the blame game and point fingers at a GM or an owner uh, you've got to point the finger right back at yourself and you've got to figure out, hey, how do I become better uh, at my craft? And, and so that's why if I was a GM, I just think that uh, you're humbled after you've been fired. You appreciate it more. Um, and, and so I think that the, the, the guys that have, that have been able to reassess uh, their situations are, are way better coaches. No doubt, Mus. I mean, you reinvented yourself, you reimagined yourself, and you mentioned, you mentioned your father, Bill. You and I have talked about your dad, Bill, over the years. He was a coaching legend, and although I've mentioned this, I want to mention it again right here for those who have not heard. I'll never forget, when your dad got sick, he was actually in the hospital, and your dad loved Bobby Knight, and at that point, Knight was taking a lot of heat, Mus, on my show, pretty much everywhere, and you called me one day and you said, JR, listen, my dad would love to come in the jungle and talk Coach Knight. Is that something you might consider? And I said, hell yeah, I would love to talk to Bill. And we did it, and I'm so glad we did. Now, Bill passed away at 59. Eric, my dad died at the same age. You and I are the same age right now. We're 54. So you're just a few years from where your dad was when he passed. Do you ever find yourself thinking about that? And what do you think about that? No, I, I, I definitely think about it all the time, uh, it, which is gets back to the working out 
And even recently, I've completely changed my diet because I don't want to use the word scared, but but it 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 comes in your mind because my dad was, in my eyes, such a healthy human being. He didn't drink, didn't smoke, tried to eat healthy, and 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 genetically, um, you know, sometimes you just can't help uh, things that happen. And, and and he died of a thing called amyloid, which is a form of cancer. Um, and so yeah, it kind of scares you as you get older and. And, and you start thinking about, hey, I got to change how I eat. I got to keep my cholesterol down and all that. But, but you're right. The story about the Mayo. My dad was in the Mayo Clinic, and and every single day, Coach Knight called my dad to check on him. Um, and and it was incredible the conversations that those two would have, and how long the conversations would last. And and to think that Coach Knight would do that because those two were rivals. Uh, growing up in Coach Knight in Oroville, Ohio, and my father um, in Worcester, Ohio, and, and they had known each other since high school and um, had a bitter rivalry when my dad was at Minnesota and Coach Knight was at Indiana. But, um, you know, at the end of it all, um, Coach Knight was one of those people that was calling on a daily basis. Hey, listen up. I want to talk to you about one of my favorite brands. Dickies. Why? Because they are the number one brand in performance workwear. Dickies knows that work is more than just what you do. It's also who you are. Just like professional athletes, your work is always judged by how you perform on that job. This is why Dickies Flex work pants and shirts are engineered to give you superior mobility, advanced protection, and enhanced durability. Plus, Dickies Flex is backed with Dickies Unconditional Satisfaction Guarantee, so you know that the Flex Series is made to work as hard as you do. Dickies Flex, engineered to move, engineered to last. You can learn more at dickies.com. Go to dickies.com. You know, Eric, you always hear it. In fact, we as parents, I don't know about you, but we always say it. Parents are not supposed to be their kids' friends, right? We're parents. It's true. But Bill, I mean, Bill was your best friend, wasn't he? There's no doubt. I talk, I talk to my dad, Jim, every single day, uh, every day, uh, on the phone, uh, and then when I was coaching, he was somebody that, that would try to make any game that he possibly could. And the funny story is we played against each other. I was coaching in Rapid City in the old CBA, which is equivalent to the NBA G League now. And he was coaching Rochester. And his team was up. And at halftime, uh, I mean, our locker room, there was I, we, I was going crazy. And our team went out to warm up. And my dad walked into our locker room. We're playing him now. He walked into our locker room, and he basically said, hey, chill out. It's only a game. <laughs> we ended up coming back and winning the game, and the roles were completely ver- reversed. After the game, I could hear him going crazy in the locker room. Uh, and we didn't talk after that game, but the next morning we had a good laugh. That's something else. So, like, Eric, what, literally, you and your dad are two of the most competitive guys ever. I mean, what was that like? Was it hard going up against him? Was it – did you want to beat him worse than anybody else? Like, what was that dynamic like well, for both of you? growing up, uh, you know, we played all the time pickup ball uh, almost every day. And, and when I was in middle school, we'd go down to La Jolla Rec in San Diego and play outdoor pickup ball. But, ironically, he always wanted to play – on the same team. And I think it was because he was trying to help develop me. He would always pass me the ball and try to, you know, have me try to figure out a way to score. Uh, and then we would play some one-on-one. And after, I think it was in ninth grade, I beat him. We never played again. Um, but it was, it was not easy uh, 
growing up in the household of such a great competitor because everything was about competition. Uh, it, and at that way back when it was, it was a Pac-Man games. When you go into a restaurant, play the Pac-Man video games, we would sit there for hours until he beat the top score. Um, and I have loads of stories about the competitive nature of growing up in that type of environment. Well, must. I mean, you turn out pretty much the same way. So, I mean, I would imagine that on some level it must have been exhausting. And on some other level, that, that's just the way it was. And probably it was part nurture, part nature. You know, must the story, since you've, you've come back and you're just killing it right now, one of the stories that's making the rounds is that when you were coming up and you were playing high school ball in Ohio, I mean, did opposing fans really hit you with hot dogs? Or did somebody run with that? Like, where did that story come from? Is that true? Yeah, it's true. It was, uh, it's actually happened at North Royalton High School. I was playing at Brexville. And my dad was coaching the Cavaliers, and it was kind of one of those uh, Billy Martin, uh, Charles Finley type things where my dad would coach a little bit, and then Ted Stepien, the owner of the Cavs, would fire him. And they were a really, really bad team. It was, you know, a poorly run uh, NBA team. And and so uh, I would wear sweatbands uh, and tried to play with a little bit of flair. And so, yeah, we were in introductions at North Royalton. Hot dogs got thrown at me, and then it happened a couple games later at Wadsworth. And I was cool with it, um, but it, it really hurt my mom. You know, she was like, so people are really throwing hot dogs at my son. And so <laughs> tears were coming down her eyes after one of our road games. My dad and I were kind of laughing about it, but that is a true story. That's something else. So like, you work for your dad. I, you got that job when you were just 25, and he was the coach of the T-Wolves. He went back to Minnesota. Tom Thibodeau was on that staff too, right? What were those days like? They were awesome. Actually, I, I, my dad uh, moved in with the first player that he ever recruited who lived in Minneapolis and had a large home. Uh, and then my dad said, hey, there's about five extra bedrooms. Come and live with us. So I went and, and, and stayed with my dad, and it lasted about – two weeks every night, like one in the morning, two in the morning. Hey, let's watch this game tape. Or what do you think about this trade proposal? And so finally I said, enough's enough. I moved right into an apartment right above Tom Thibodeau, uh, right next to that, then the target center. Uh, and Tommy, and I would used to jog uh, through the snow to work. And uh, every day after practice, we played pickup ball, the three of us. And and it was just so interesting because you look at Tom now, and, and I think back then, the two of us, uh, we didn't say a word in practice. I mean, my dad conducted the entire practice, and we were quiet, in-the-corner type coaches just trying to learn. And, and obviously, the career that Tom's had has been absolutely incredible. You must. I mean, on some level, I, I, I got to think that you do what your dad was doing to you then, right? I, I got to think that you're up that late. I got to think that you're texting with your assistants are you paying? Like, I heard exactly what you were talking about when you said my research would indicate that I'd be hard pressed to get a third shot at the NBA. Do you watch the NBA closely right now, or do you watch your guys that you know, like Tom Thibodeau? I'm kind of curious. What do you think about how that whole thing with Jimmy Butler played out with Thibodeau? Yeah, I think the you know it's just as an NBA head coach, it's just so hard because of the scrutiny with the media, and it's hard because you know the players are making you know such astronomical amounts of money and so this player coach superstar uh, relationship becomes you know so so important and 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 thinking back to you know working for coach Chuck Daly he was just an absolute incredible master 
uh, of dealing with egos and personalities and Chuck didn't want to say too much and he wanted assistants to do all the coaching and practice. And, um, you know, I think that the, the hardest thing for any coach at, I think at the pro level, I've never obviously coached in the, any other sport, but certainly in the NBA is the minute that relationship with a superstar starts to turn, it becomes hard to get back. And then the media gets involved and, and even, you know, even something as, as small as what happened in golden state, you know, no, nobody knows where that goes from here, whether it's just one small incident or whether it, it affects the, the, the fabric of the team. Um, Cause it's, it's, it's really hard to coach. Uh, at that level, if you're not winning big, and there's there seems to be some type of dilemma that comes up uh, almost on a daily basis. Yeah, Mus. Before you go, and I appreciate your thoughts on that. Thanks. Before you go, I mentioned Danielle, and I've known coaches, and I've known the wives with those coaches. And it seems to me, whenever I've seen a coach who's done really well, especially at the college level, man, it's been a strong, strong presence alongside of him I've known some coaches wives that's not an easy gig you know that's not an easy gig because what you do is not easy and you just you know frankly coaches type a personalities they're wired a little bit differently and Danielle she had her own career she was doing extremely well what has she meant to you professionally and personally and really frankly would you be where you are right now without that kind of support well it's it's really funny really funny Jim because uh, the head coach at, at the University of South Dakota, Todd Lee, uh, he and I have known each other. He, we worked together in Rapid City in the old CBA, and Todd called me two weeks ago, and he said, you do know you would not have this success or even near this success if it wasn't for your marriage. Hmm. And I kind of laughed about it, and he was like dead serious. And I think that uh, because Danielle is so independent, uh, because her career was in sports, um, it really is the perfect marriage for me. And when I say independent, you know, like if I want to go back to work at 10 o'clock at night, I don't have somebody that is needy and wants me to hang out at home. She's perfectly fine doing her own thing and, and has her own hobbies. And, and then when you talk about um, being at the college level, your wife can have an impact. You can only do so much out in the community uh, but Danielle, right now, I would say, Jim, probably anywhere from two to four nights a week, she's doing some function um, for either our family outwardly or for the university or for our basketball program. And, and so she has had a huge impact on our success, and she has an impact on how our crowds are uh, because of her involvement in the Northern Nevada community. No matter how big or small your team is, Ferguson has a winning game plan for pro contractors with thousands of plumbing repair parts, knowledgeable associates, and the largest national footprint in the game. When the pressure is on, count on Ferguson. So much. Two really quick things. I mean, God, this is amazing to me. You've been there longer than you have been anywhere at any other stop in your career. That, that kind of blows my mind. I don't know if that feels that way to you. And that being said, I mean, could you see yourself, if you make a run right now, you went to the Sweet 16 last year, nearly advanced beyond there. If everything breaks right now, I know you'll tell me you have a lot of work to do. You could do even better this year. Could you see yourself laying down roots there and being able to accomplish everything you want to accomplish right where you are? Well, I think so. And I think the reason is, um, you, you know, the, the, the amount of time that you've spent, like when you're growing up and 
my career was always two years, get a reputation of a, of a hard worker, and then you move up and you make more money and you go from a third assistant to a second assistant to the top assistant to an associate head coach to a head coach. And then all of a sudden, as we talked about, when you get fired, you know, now all of a sudden your career, where, where does it go? And so, you know, for us, this has been a long time, but that's kind of how college sports is. Like, it's, it, there's four-year cycles, and, and when we got the job, we tried, how do we become as good as we can be uh, in our fourth year? And that's where we are, year four right now. And what we found here at Nevada is we can have crowds of 10-plus every night. Uh, we can recruit a five-star athlete. Uh, we can have a team that makes a sweet 16 and was one basket away from being an elite eight. Uh, we are a preseason top 10 team, and now uh, we're two weeks into the season, and this will be our third week ranked in the top seven in the country. So all of this stuff has happened, and, and so for us, we love being here, and the community's been awesome to us, and so why not is, is, is really the simple answer. So, Mus, a final thought. I, I like to mark time, and I like to think about where we all started, where we all ended up, who's been up, who's been down, who battled back. It's kind of hard to imagine, but when you and I first started having these conversations, I called you when I was in Santa Barbara. You were at Rapid City. There was no cell phone technology. There was no internet. There was no social media. You came on the program. I can remember you handwriting a card thanking me and sending it back. I mean, Eric, that's that's like 30 years plus. I, I don't know how it feels to you, and I don't mean to be morbid in any sense, but I go back to what I said about you being 54, I'm 54, we both lost our dads at 59, and now 30 years, it seems like it's just in a flash. What's it feel like to you from Rapid City to where you are right now? Does it feel like some crazy, uh, endless journey, or did it go really quickly? No, I mean, it's it went so quick. I mean, I think even... I think the first time, Jim, I might have come on with you, you might have had that the late time slot, too. Um, and and it, it, it does. It, it, I mean, everything, it seems like it's been three years. And, I, and then I start thinking about, hold on. I mean, I was in Venezuela for, for a couple summers coaching their national team and Dominican Republic coaching their national team and all these stops. But I still feel the same. I still have the same love for the game, the same energy. Um, so it's it, to me, it's amazing. I, I, I guess as you get older, uh, you become wiser. And, and I remember, you know, older people telling me, like, time flies. Before you know it, your kids are going to go to college, and then they're going to graduate, and then they're going to have kids. And I'm sitting here thinking, wow, I have a son on our staff right now who is a college graduate and another one who's going to be done with high school in a couple months. And uh, t- life and time does fly by. Unless you've changed. I mean, we all evolve, but I, I agree with you. I mean, you're not that different. I mean, you've got the same energy, the same drive, the same passion, and you're still hungry. You still want it every bit as badly as you did back then. So I will say what I always say. I appreciate the friendship. I appreciate the relationship. I, I, I don't want to say I'm not awed by what I'm seeing. I'm not surprised because I know how badly you want it and how hard you work at it, but it, it's a thing to see. that You've got that thing turned around as quickly as you have with the upside is really something to behold. Eric, I appreciate you very much. Great to have you on the podcast, and that was a lot of fun. JR, thanks so much. It was way more fun for me, and I can't appreciate our friendship more as well, and and uh, hopefully we got many more in both of us. You got it, Must. Thank you very much. I'd love to see you soon, Eric. Good luck with it. Thanks, Jim. 
quick shout out to all my pals who are building professionals. You want to listen up? If you're a contractor, a builder, or a remodeler, Lumber Liquidators Pro Plus is the only partner you will ever need for all of your flooring needs. With special pro-only pricing and dedicated support, LL Pro Plus will help you get your flooring jobs done quickly, also profitably. What else is there? Are you worried about selection and availability? Do not be. Lumber Liquidators has over 150 million square feet of flooring available with over 100,000 square feet in stock in most of their stores. And yes, they stock professional grade adhesives, also underlayment, molding, tools, fasteners, and grout. So you get exactly what you need when you have to have it. And if you're too busy to pick up your flooring, that's also not an issue because you know the LL Pro Plus team will deliver it right to your job. And with LL Pro Plus, you can even get yourself a business line of credit. So put the LL Pro Plus flooring experts on your team right now. Visit your local Lumber Liquidator store or lumberliquidators.com slash pro sales today. 60 episodes for real. I mean, damn, that's a pretty big number. My thanks to Muss for riding shoddy with me on the way to that milestone. So now as we head into a long Thanksgiving weekend, I'm sure you've got a flight or a big drive ahead of you, maybe some in-laws that you might want to duck. So why not load up on the pod and crush some back catalog episodes? Go check out as many of these conversations as you can because I'm still getting all sorts of love for a lot of them going way back. If you want to play the best of the best, check out Adam Carolla or Steve Elkington or David Goggins or David Faraday. I hate that whole Mount Rushmore device, but that would be the Mount Rush of the pod if we had one. So get started right there. And while you're here, make sure you subscribe. Have an awesome Thanksgiving, and I'll check you next week for F61. Here are some voicemails for you on the way out the door. First new message. Romy, Eric in Orlando, buddy. How you doing? Flight Decca, yeah, Friday for the USS James Kelly's week that was. Message deleted. Next message. Mike in Buffalo. Great day to be cooking up some fireman's chowder here in the 716 on Armistice Day. I just I just can't help but get that feeling. You know, that I got a feeling Buffalo's going to the Super Bowl. Message saved. Next message. Jumpman. Brendan and the Natty here. I actually have lunch with the coaching staff at Notre Dame when Charlie Weiss was there. And we showed up and walked in front of the dessert plate, and he told me, leave the fucking cheesecake to me. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, it's Nooch. So, took this hit acid like fucking six hours ago, and I'm waiting for the walls to stop moving. It's a lot. How you doing, buddy? I just wanted to say what's up. Hey, man, is there any way I can get you to go to bat for me to get on Survivor? Oh. Okay, I'm going to get back to these walls. Message deleted. Next message. This is Alan in Virginia. I just uh, wanted to call, tell you how much I appreciated watching the uh, uh, yeah, video. Uh, I'm a clone. Message deleted. Next message. Jimos, what's up, buddy? Speaks in Studio City here. Hey, uh, before we roll out, uh, we're going to go uh, Yeti hunting this weekend uh, out here, and uh, we hope to uh, find Dan and Denver's parents. Chaka and Denver's parents. Message deleted. Next message. Yo, pimp. James in Fort Lauderdale. Dude, Jenna Jameson tells you she loves you via Twitter. 
you need to send Jake and Logan away for the weekend, talk to Janet, have a slumber party, tickle fights, pillow fights, lots of wrestling, in the immortal words of Al Davis. Swing, baby. Just swing. Message deleted. You have no more messages.